That's Katy Perry. You're listening to HD 107.9 Live. We've got uh, Madeline Garcia and Louis Capaldi on the way in the next 10 minutes or so. And I'm sitting here with an old friend of mine, an old work colleague of mine who I have known for actually such a long time now. Okay, just do a bit of a backtrack. So when I, I used to work here at Catholic Education in a different role. I was kind of doing uh, like administration kind of work originally. That was in RE, wasn't that it? Was in RE yeah. yeah. So um, a few years ago now. And you came in, the first time I met you, uh, you were coming in and working with like uh, redesigning websites, essentially. There was like this big website redesign project. And you came in as the guru who was going to show us exactly how proper websites should be made. And it was the most amazing presentation and it was so funny. And uh, it really, at that stage too, I just started working on doing that kind of stuff. And it really kind of opened my eyes to the possibilities and that kind of stuff. And we've kind of got to know each other a little bit over the years. But then the other day, we were uh, just standing at reception. We happened to be at the reception area at exactly the same time. And then you said, oh yeah, well, you know, like um, talking about this book that you just written. And look, and I'm gonna be honest, when I uh, hear about people now who talk about being authors and writing books because now ebooks are such a thing you know you kind of go people put out an ebook and it comes out on amazon or kindle or whatever it is and it allows everyone to be able to write a book and you said yeah you've written a book and i thought fantastic that's great so i went back and googled it and then it comes up on the um what was the website i would have seen online i told you and it was amazon. was amazon no no it was on um like the oh, the, the harper the, collins website yeah the harper collins yeah. website I, and I, sorry, like, yeah. that's a no that, but that's a book book that's that's the real <laughs> thing and it kind of blew my mind a little bit so not even knowing that you were an author up until this moment so can you talk me through like how did the journey for you let's go back to the beginning how did it begin first time pen went to paper figuratively speaking first time pen went to paper when i was about six so right. i've always been a writer so where we connected when you were at catholic head yeah. and in the ra team was in communication so i've always been a communicator in terms of the fiction stuff, that's probably three or four years old. So, And how did that start for you? It started because I was always going to do it one day. I was always going to do it when I had enough time, had enough money, had enough had enough margin in my life to be able to write a book. And as everybody knows, that time never comes. Yeah, so it's always that thing of going, you know, when does one day become day one? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so for me, I, I had to take the plunge. And so I took the plunge and started writing fiction. And now the, my debut novel came out earlier in the year. Mm-hmm. And so The Baggage Handle has been out for, what, six, seven months? And, and it's this amazing, like, I'm holding it in my hands now. You've been lovely enough to give me a copy. And it's it's beautiful. Like, it's this beautiful hardback Well, it's thing. a hardcover. So, I'm a book nerd, um, as I sense you are as well, James. Oh, totally, totally. And so, yeah, I, I just love the feel of it and the fact that it – and it is, it is kind of strange. You have this, this story bouncing around in your head, and then it's a big leap from your head to your laptop, and then it's an even bigger leap from a laptop to actually holding it in your hands. So. Okay, okay, so speaking of the story, talk, like, what is the story? Okay, the story is – it's it's an it's an allegorical story. It's a, it's a modern no parable so it's about three people who catch a flight that's going to change their lives each of the three of them are not actually looking forward to to the destination they're going to when they leave the airport in a big hurry they switch suitcases the three of them and then they end up at a baggage depot where they meet a young guy called the baggage handler Mm -hmm. and he shows them that there's more in their baggage than they actually remember packing and they have to deal with it before they can leave right so it's 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 exploring the topic of of what baggage we carry and whether or not we'd be well suited to, in, you know, investigate it, acknowledge it, deal with it, put it down, whatever. But it's it's about, you know, it, it, the truth in the story is the idea of what we carry slows us down. 
Mm. And for some of us, that's significant, and so it takes significant resources to work through it. But it, it's about – it's more than just a story to – you get to the end and you think, well, that was amazing, I love dragons. It was more, <laughs> was more along the lines of saying, look, at the end of the story, I've had people say, you know, I read the book and I sat back and I went, oh, what's happening in my life? And so they're actually starting to review that sort of stuff themselves. So what was there an event or a series of events that made you go, like, this is something that I really need to kind of talk about to get off my chest? Was there something that led you to write this book in particular? Well, my baggage actually arrived in terms of the story. I was, I'd I'd submitted, I'd written a a first book, which was about church and reality television, and I'd submitted that to a few Was this a fiction book or a A fiction as well, yeah. It was a fiction book. Fiction book. So it was a story about a reality TV show made in churches. And so I'd submitted that (laughs) to- Sounds so good. it It was fun to write, actually. Yeah. So I submitted that to some writing competitions in the US and finaled over there. And then pitched it to industry. Industry said it's not the right time, it's not the right market, all that sort of thing. So I put that to one side. Mm-hmm. And I spoke to a literary agent over there, and he said, look, love the fact that I think you've got ability, so why don't you try something different? And I started thinking about, well, do I write something that's the same type of story? And then the the idea about following sort of a life lesson or a modern-day parable type story was the thing that came up. And the minute I embraced that, yeah, the story arrived, and that's what I mean by the, my baggage arrived. So... Nine o'clock one night, I was reading another story, and this idea. What was that? Um, it was was a book by Andy Andrews. He writes similar type stories, and I was just thinking about maybe this is the style for me. And I I remember looking at the clock. It was nine p.m., and I thought I need to grab my laptop, and I didn't know why. I went and grabbed my laptop, and the next time I looked at the, my my clock, it was one in the morning. <laughs> And I had the structure for the baggage handler on my screen. Plot, characters, twists, everything. And it really downloaded. Now, I wish that happened all the time because I'm now on contract to write two more books. We've got another one coming out in two months' time, and it was a lot harder. But in in the case of this one, the idea arrived, so I just basically typed. Right. And, I mean, when we talked about this in the reception area and I said to you, I said, so why did you write the book? And the response you gave, you said, because it was on my heart is what you said. Can you... Break that open a little bit I, as to what that means. Yeah, well, what, what I mean by that is is I realise we're not here for a long time. And so I, I, I like the idea about connecting with people and talking with people about stuff that's real. So people around me would tell you quite openly, I don't do small talk. I'm, I'm more than happy to dive into the deep end. And so that's what I mean by it's on my heart. I, the story about the baggage handler was about dealing with emotional baggage. The next one, The Camera Never Lies, is about dealing with honesty in relationships. So that's what's on my heart is using... I've obviously got this skill set where I'm using words to communicate. Is there a way I can use them so that people can connect with maybe what's going on in their lives or something deeper? So yeah. that, that's that's what's on my heart is, is using using my skill set to write something that might be entertaining but also lifts the lid a little bit on people's lives so that they can go a bit deeper into what it is that, that they're dealing with, who they are, is there something bigger than them? Um, sort of those those types of questions. We're talking with David Rawlings. His book, The Baggage Handler, is now out uh, and available through like booksellers. You can get it at Dimmicks, I think I Dimmicks saw as well. Kurong's got it. What's the difference between writing your first book and then knowing that you've got it now deliver a second one? Like, how is your process different? The process is the same. The pressure is ramped up, which sounds strange because you think there'd be more pressure on the first one. Mm. But I found that, and I'm talking to other authors as well, uh, here in Australia and overseas, there seems to be this sense of you're so desperate to get your first one acknowledged that if you don't, it'll happen one day. But then it changes because I, I was um, contracted to write one 
and then HarperCollins offered me a contract for two more. And so suddenly everything Does is Does that just sound crazy to you, those it's, words coming out of your mouth? HarperCollins yeah. have contracted me to write two more. Yeah, it does. It's, it's, it's nuts. If, if you knew that, like... 12 months ago, or maybe a bit longer, because I know this has been in train for a while, like 18 months ago, that you would be saying those words, being in that position. Would you have believed it? I would have thought you were delusional. Really? Yeah. And I am a little den- well, delusional. <laughs> he said not denying it. Um, no, it's, it's, it's one of those things that it's, it's one of the dreams that you hope comes true. And when it actually does, that there is an element of not quite believing it. Yeah. And I've, I've, I've got a, a couple of friends now. We've sort of come through together as debut authors. So I was talking to her. She lives in Nashville. And she was saying that, that there's always a sense of people are going to find out soon that I can't actually do this. It becomes the self-doubt. Yeah, which yeah. I think if you cut a writer, what would bleed would, would be self-doubt because that's mm. what drives a lot of us. And so I think for me it was a sense of, wow, this is actually happening. And then you realise, and now I have to deliver. Mm. So, yeah, the pressure's ramped up. My process is the same, but I think, yeah, the expectation is very different. So for people who are interested in the idea of actually getting to, to write a novel – because you were saying it was one of those things that you were saying it's something one day in the future when there's no pressure, when essentially this perfect set of scenarios lays themselves out and you've got the space to do that. You made that decision to say, no, now I am going to do it now. This is going to be my one day moment and go forward with it. If you um, had to go back, you know, five years and give yourself like one piece of advice, like with the knowledge that you now know as a published author, yep. what would you say to yourself? One one of the things that one of the things that made me dive into the deep end is I was always going to do it one day on my timing, and I really felt challenged at the time that God said to me He gave me two words, which I was hoping would be bestseller, or <laughs> published author, or great novel. But the two words were trust me. Yeah. As in, I'll handle the outcome. You look after the process. Okay. And it took me a while to connect with that. So if I if I was looking back now, I'd be. You just have to let go and you just have to do it. And look, at the end of the day, if you write if you write a book and it touches three people and it turns their lives around, then was it worth it? Absolutely. Yeah. So it, it comes down to how you view that whole process as well. Yeah. So, and look, we're all, we're all in it to, you know, you want to keep this thing going so you've got to sell enough copies to keep going. So commercial, the commercial side is important. But I get messages from people that say, I had one woman who, who basically emailed me her life story and yeah, she right. had all these issues with you know, family breakup, marriage breakup, financial ruin, all that sort of stuff. She said, I read The Baggage Handler and now I'm starting to address some of those issues in my life. So when that sort of stuff happens, That's I wish powerful. I could go back in time and go, just start rather than waiting for these perfect conditions. Now, the irony is I don't currently right now today have enough money, enough time or enough clients, but I'm still doing it. Yeah. So this whole idea of waiting for that perfect moment which is what you're saying, the one day. Yeah, yeah. You just have to start. You just have to get in. I wish I'd done that sooner. I think, too, there's there's that element of um, when you sort of see people who are, you know, that, there's that old phrase of, like, I like your old stuff better than your new stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think that there's that element of creativity where um, when people are writing 
well, I guess essentially for themselves, they're writing the thing that touches them and moves them rather than thinking about going, well, I've got to make sure it pitches to the right demographic and that the right uh, uh, the, the right public, the publisher will love it if I put this in and all that kind of stuff, that that's where um, sometimes that voice gets a bit lost along the way. And I think it must be harder to stay creative as you have those more external pressures put on you to go, no, go back to those first principles and go, does it move me? Will it move those three people? Um, is that kind of something that goes through your mind at all? All the time. And it, yeah. it does to all of us as well because there's, there's always pressure of do I write like somebody else or publishers at the moment, for example, publishers at the moment love dragons. So I'm writing a story about a train driver. How do I get him to meet a dragon? So you can't write for the market. You have to write the story that's in your heart. So dragons, you mean like – that kind of like Game of Thrones fantasy style yeah. of, of writing. You'd be amazed how many people will watch something like Game of Thrones and go, well, that's huge, so therefore I need to write something similar. Well, the, the reality is you don't. If you're being true to yourself, you need to write the story that you've been given or that you feel that you need to tell. And so I keep coming back to my brand is that I tell stories that help people dive deeper into life. Yeah. And so I just need to keep coming back to that. How do I tell a story that will allow someone to sit back and go, maybe there's something in that for me. Because if you do do it that way, though, you're talking about authenticity. You're not talking about kind of the aesthetics that sit over the top of the whole thing. And I think this is kind of where we see, like on this show before, we've talked about many times about where kind of, um, I guess, modern cinema film is kind of like going in. Everything now is franchised because there's a sense of that's marketable, that's this, that, and the other. It's easy. It's easy. And what that's doing... I think is, is it's affecting the way that stories are being told that you kind of go, I'm seeing a, like a gazillion dollars on screen in terms of the visual effects and the, the, the branding and the graphics. But then you go, but the writing is, it has no substance to it. So if you're talking about like your brand is writing about substance, that can never really go out of date. That can, because no. you, you're always having to go, no, this isn't connecting. Yeah. 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 And it's one of my frustrations too. I love creativity. I love ideas. And so when I go and see it's, you know, Marvel movie number 370, it's like, okay, I get it. I think it's 375. Yeah. Sorry. Apologies to all the Marvel fans out there. (laughs) They will correct you. They will correct you. (laughs) I could have committed the ultimate sin and and made a DC reference in a Marvel analogy. No, but that's what, that's what, that's what we do is we move away from authenticity thinking it will increase our chances. Yeah. But what people connect with is, is authenticity. They connect with who you are as much as what you write. And so that's the challenge because you're putting yourself out there and saying, this is me. And yeah. this, is, this is the story that's on my heart. Now, people might look at that and go, okay, that's nice, but it's not for us. I went through that the first time. My, day, my debut novel is the second novel I wrote. Yeah. The reality TV church story, the one that finaled in a range of competitions, is still unpublished. Now, that doesn't mean I go back to it and turn it into, um, you know, whatever the next version of, of the wave of creativity is, whether it's all about cooking or it's all about, you know, we've talked about dragons, but mm. what if it's all about AI in the future? Yeah. Do I then go back and turn it into no, – I probably don't. It's just that at that moment in time, that was the right story for me to tell, but it yeah. still isn't published. Yeah. But I need to stay true to what I'm writing. And I speak to writers all the time, and that's their big challenge, is staying real. Mm. We were lucky enough to have uh, Matt Maher on the show about a year and a half ago yeah. at, when, at, uh, at ACYF Sydney. And uh, he was talking about that, talking about that an album is really just a snapshot 
of where you are at that particular moment in time at the yeah. moment that you that you do it. Uh, David Rawlings is our guest. His debut novel, The Baggage Handler, is out now. It's a beautiful hardcover uh, book. Now, David, this book, in addition to looking beautiful and um, you know being really well received, has also been nominated for uh, an award coming up. It's a fairly big deal of an award, and it is part of the whole genre of judging this uh genre of books called Christian fiction. Can you tell us a bit about the award that you've been nominated for and just like what this world of Christian fiction is and what it's all about? Sure. The the award that the Baggage Handler is up for, it's it's nominated in the category First Novel for the Christie Awards. Now, the Christie Awards, I've been told by all and sundry, is the pinnacle of Christian fiction in terms of the awards that are offered in the US or and, and from what I can tell globally. So that that's... That's touching, actually. It's, yeah. it's still a bit mind blowing in the sense that I'm, you know, we're sitting here in Adelaide, and there's going to be a gala dinner in a, in a couple of months' time in, in Nashville where they're going to be putting all these books against each other. And this is this is the. Are you going to go? No. Oh no! No, I'd, I'd that love. That sounds so cool. <laughs> I know. I'd love to get there. I'd, there's a part of me that can't really justify going to America for a dinner and then coming home. Um, but the other thing is we're a year 12 family, so we've got exams around Oh, time. yeah, so that's mega. we've got mega. that pressure and that sort of stuff yeah, as yeah. well. So I'll watch it online. I love how you call it a year 12 family. We are a year you know, 12 family. That, that really does sum up <laughs> where the whole world is geared around at that moment. Yeah. So, yeah. look, that's that's I'm, I'm treating that as a real encouragement. I mean, the, with the awards, it doesn't justify what you do, but it does give you some recognition for what you've done. And so for me, I'm, that's how I'm, I'm taking it. So it's, it's just I'm chuffed to be nominated for it. And how big is this world of Christian fiction? How, how big a genre is it in terms of the books that are out there and available? Well, because as you said before, the, the whole concept of literature has just exploded because anybody can publish at any time yep. about anything. Christian fiction has has always been this almost a, a segment of fiction, which has had an evangelical bent, or it's it, it's you know the, the thing that I usually say to people it's it's like it's like the Left Behind series was probably the, one of the, the the big ones that was seen as, as Christian fiction, and that was. And what's that? I I'm not familiar with. So that. Left Behind was a series written by Jerry Jenkins and Tim LaHaye, and so it was all about the end of the world, and they were fictionalizing the end of the world and the rapture and all that sort of stuff. So it was it was planting fiction inside Revelation almost. Right. And so that's that's. But where, still tapping into that whole post-apocalyptic kind yeah, of pretty much which was really huge pretty much for a while so my reading of a christian fiction there's a lot of romance uh, and historical romance and historical fiction all that sort of stuff and it's often referred to as clean fiction you know as, as we can see fiction and literature as it constantly tries to push the boundaries mm -hmm. some of the fictional stuff is getting more and more and more and more in terms of its explicit nature so this is actually going the other way mm. i tend to view it as, as christian fiction isn't me sort of dressing up a three-point sermon as a story and then um you know having a point at the end everyone gets saved and then chris tomlin plays you out with a with a <laughs> final song tomlin. in the last chapter it's kind of like um yeah we don't get the newsboys involved to play out the novel okay but for me i'm a christian maybe in the movie version maybe if it gets wet the banger channel movie version chris yeah. tomlin if you're listening you there's a possible cameo here for the movie version <laughs> so for me i'm a christian writing fiction so for me it's a, it's a story from someone with Christian values. So in the case of The Baggage Handler, it, I'm not preaching at people. I've, I've, and the fascinating thing is I've had, on the same day I got two emails. One was from a woman who said, I see you're a Christian, I am too. To me, The Baggage Handler is, is an obvious Jesus figure. 
And I had that was followed by a second email from a woman who said, thank you so much for writing a story about values without preaching. She said, I hate the church. I hate um, the concept of God, and I don't want anything to do with that, but I am spiritual. And I read The Baggage Handler, and I viewed that as very non-judgmental, non-Christian. How do you think she came across your book then, if she came from like outside of that well, she found sphere. it on amazon see that's that's right. one of the things of the explosion of platforms means that it's yeah. suddenly you don't have to you don't have to go to kurong to to get my book yeah and suddenly it's available online it's available in demix it's available elsewhere and if people like um it, it comes in that recommended part i guess yeah. too of amazon too if people have like similar books it you know it sets that breadcrumb yeah. trail that's right to the book yeah which is so, amazing so that that to me is is me my pastor talks about the fact that my writing is my version of preaching. Mm. You know, I'm just better with with typing it than than I am necessarily standing behind a pulpit and thumping it. So, yeah, yeah. so for me, it's it's about reaching people with what I believe. Now, I've done it with the baggage handler, to, and I've, the feedback I'm getting is it's actually it's connecting with people regardless of where they are when it comes with faith. And the reason I, that I'm I really like that is that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus didn't. If there was anybody who could have in conversations with people, slammed them with scripture. It would have been him, but he didn't. Mm. He connected with people first, then he delivered truth. So yeah. that's that's kind of my approach as well, in in the sense of connecting with people, particularly in – we live in a very polarised world, and the minute I have some conversations with people, the minute the word faith comes up, you can see them shut down. Absolutely. And so this is a way of engaging with people to, to get truth in front of them without necessarily – feeling like they have to attend church to, to get it. I, I think that's really important. I was having a conversation with someone just last night about about this and uh, we were talking about uh, we were talking I was talking about the Sermon on the Mount actually, you know, with all the things that Jesus is saying at the Sermon on the Mount. And all of them are, you know, uh, you know, blessed are the meek, best blessed are the pure of heart, blessed and 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 big so essentially it's saying that those people who are overlooked that people who quite often are the, are the sort of the modern day underdogs in society will be the ones who inherit the kingdom of of heaven, as it's called, you know. Yeah. And the person that was was there was going, you know, I find I have such resistance to that language. It sounds to me um, kind of um, restricting and and limiting. I was really curious about that but in the back of my mind i got it because mm. quite often this person had grown up with a history um of of being in the church but their understanding of being in the church was it was all about the people that were underneath all that the people that they felt were being excluded you will follow this rule you will follow that rule yeah. it's more about what you need to be to be in it rather than um, otherwise, you're going to be excluded and not a part of it. So they hear that language and they immediately say, like you were saying, they glaze over because they go, no, nah, that's not me. That's not a part of it. But the actual words and the actual language is all about gathering in. It's mm. all about being included. So I think that if you are to be speaking to people in that way, in, and and my um, confirmation site was St. Anthony of Padua, not because I lose things a lot, but because um, uh, there was that thing about him saying, um, you know, that he would uh, make sure that people could understand the way that he was talking about the gospel, regardless of who they were. And there's that great thing of when he didn't have anyone to preach to, he went down to the lake and preached to the fish and even the fish listened because what he was saying was so convincing. Yeah. And I completely I completely get where you're coming from with that, that that's really important. Well, it is. And the, the other thing that I doing in in the writing that i'm i'm putting together is is i'm posing a lot of questions and again if you want to go back to scripture on that that's what jesus did 
again, someone who probably had all the answers in f- for all the questions in front of him, didn't go in and say, oh, your problem is this, go and do that. Your problem is that, go and He didn't diagnose. He asked questions to start the engagement process. And at the back of all my novels, like The Baggage Handler's got a, it's not, not a study guide, but there's there are some starter questions and discussion questions at the back, which is based around oh, okay. which character did you relate to? When this when this particular event happened, what was your reaction? Because once you start to, to ask questions... That's what gets you thinking. Oh, right. And so I've yeah. had a, a number of book clubs. I've had a few Bible study groups who've actually bought the book as a as a group. And they haven't studied it in a traditional Bible study sense, but they have read it together. And then they've talked about the concept of dealing with stuff. And so the, 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 those things at the back, as I say, there's a, a short note to readers in the back. It's, it's not homework. It's just starting points. So one of the characters uh, in The Baggage Handler is someone who's dealing with unforgiveness. He's been burned by his wife, yeah. and so it's all about unforgiveness. So the questions don't necessarily say, have you been burned? But it's sort of like, if you carry unforgiveness, what sort of what sort of output does that have? What sort of impact does that have on people? So yeah. it's just getting people to, to think about it. And I guess that's kind of my approach, is to try and tell a story. But then when people shut the back cover, I don't want them to go, well, that was fun. And then move on. I want them to to actually sit in it and go, "What does that mean?" Yeah, and uh, had, that, that's yeah. such a great idea. Putting them in because it it serves multiple uses. In that, people can then use it as as a as a as a kind of a reflection thing at the end, or kind of begin with the end in mind and go, "Okay, there's going to be questions here. Um, how am I going to do that?" So. I don't know, like like you say, Bible study things like that would be would be a great way of, of looking at that too. David Rawlings has been our guest today, uh, talking about his new book, The Baggage Handler, out through Harper Collins Publishers. Uh, uh, if you have missed any of this conversation, uh, we've got it on our podcast. So be sure to go to Spotify, SoundCloud, uh, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, and have a listen to the whole thing because it's it's really been an amazing conversation. And thank you so much for coming in, David, Pleasure. to have a chat about it today. Thanks for having me. Um, now uh, let's let's get into how people can read it. And there's also a whole stack of like ways that people can connect with you and connect with the publisher and stuff. Um, go for it. Okay, so. If, if you're sitting in front of your device, um, the best place to go is Amazon. So head to Amazon, uh, look up me or the book, and you can get it that way. If you're more of a book nerd like I am and you want to wander into a bookshop, um, I think Dimmix and Kurong have it here in, in Australia. So it's, the big Dimmix store down on Rundle Mall. There's one in Rundle Mall. Mm. I think uh, the one down Glenelg's got it as well. Yep. I was in Kurong the other day. They've got copies, and so you can get it that way. Uh, if you're the sort of person who wants to read a few chapters first, head to my website, and you'll be able to download some excerpts, and you can read it. Oh, I've, that's cool. Um, I've also um, recorded my – it's available in audiobook and ebook. Uh, done by professionals but I've I've actually recorded the first chapter myself and that's available on my website so if you head to www.davidrawlings.com.au you can go and find all that extra information if you've got a book club that wants to read it I've got some notes on how you can actually have that discussion so there's some direction on how you can do that and because there's a lot of book clubs in America doing it there's some Australian recipes if you want to learn how to cook Australian food so (laughs) (laughs) so you've got those notes as well all those notes are up on the website so even so you've got the whole book club night planned down to the catering well, I've I've started you with options. Yeah, look, I, I'm a cereal caterer. I cook What's, for a living. So. What have you What have you put? What recipes have you put? Well, because it's Australian, I, I wanted people to have, particularly in in the states, I wanted them to get a flavour of, of my country because I'm proud of it. Yeah, yeah. So I think at the moment we've got Anzac biscuits, Lamingtons. <laughs> um, there was something else. 
Cooking a good lamington's hard. I know. Well, that's the challenge I've set for the whole of America. Let's see if you can get your lamingtons right. Righto. Okay. Well, so that's cool. So Amazon, um, and you've got links to um, social media stuff on so your on website. Facebook. Yeah, I'm on Facebook and Instagram as well. And so, yeah. Okay, so we'll put a link to that on if, if people are... Um, uh, like and follow HD Radio on Facebook, which I'm sure everybody does. Of course they do. Of they course you do. do. Of course you do. Facebook. Absolutely. It's in it's in our collective DNA here. <laughs> uh, uh, we'll put a link to David's website on there as well um, and where you can get everything. David, thank you so much for coming in today. Thank you so much. I've got my own copy now. This is all good. Pleasure. This was so all just a total ruse so I could get a copy of the book. This so. is probably never going to appear anywhere, is it? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, if you're hearing it, you know that I'm true to my word. Okay, so there it is. (laughs) We are here every Wednesday night from 9, every Saturday night from 10. Stay tuned to 107.9 Life for more of your music. If you want to, if you've only just come in at the very end and haven't heard this whole show uh, interview with David Rawlings about his new book, The Baggage Handler, which is now out and making big, big waves around the world, uh, you can uh, hear it on our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh, We will see you again in a few days. Bye. I know it's weird to say this 